Well, let me tell you a little joke that kind of goes with the message today. (laughs) This father asked his nine-year-old son what he learned in Sunday school class that day. And the little boy said, well, the teacher told us how God sent Moses behind enemy lines to rescue the Israelites from the, take them out of Egypt. And, and when they got to the Red Sea, the army built a pontoon bridge and everyone walked across safely. Then they, they saw the Egyptians coming and, and uh, they, they, uh, Moses called for reinforcements and bombers came and blew up the bridge and the people were saved. The father said, now, come on, son, is that really what the teacher said? The little boy said, well, no, dad, not exactly. But if I told you the way he did, you'd never believe me. (laughs) That's kind of the way it is with a lot of those stories, right? If we tell people about it, they never believe us. Our new series starting today is called The Bible Jesus Read, and it's basically about the Old Testament because that's the Bible Jesus read. Oswald Chambers, great preacher and author, uh, he said, uh, he did a little short list of the New Testament, kind of told his quick uh, take on it. He says that the Psalms teach you how to pray. The book of Job teaches you how to suffer. The Song of Solomon teaches you how to love. Proverbs teaches you how to live. And Ecclesiastes teaches you how to enjoy. Many of us may not have the same confidence Oswald Chambers has. We may see the Old Testament writings as ancient, mysterious poetry, riddles that are hard to understand. Some people read the Old Testament subjectively. Some read it objectively. Some folks take the writings, uh, they take the writings very personally. Others look at it as historical or analytical How do you read the Old Testament Scriptures? Or may I be so bold to ask, do you read them at all? Hmm. The end result of this series could be as numerous as the number of people sitting here today. But there are two things that I have in mind that I hope we walk away with over the next few weeks. One is that we broaden our understanding of God's character. Get to know Him a little bit better. You see, after experiencing even a small portion of the universe with all its variety and size and shape and color and smell and personality and sound, to think that the Creator is anything but multifaceted would be, I don't know, quite closed-minded. But then, every time I teach the Bible, I hope we get to know a little bit more about God's character. So that piece doesn't really make this series unique. The more important result I hope for is that we see the absolute authority in God's written Word. I hope we realize more of the communion that happens between the Almighty and His children through the narrative and the wisdom found in Scripture. I desire that we would come to the place where we can all say, man does not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The strategy I want to use to raise the importance factor of the Bible is to see it lived out in the life of Jesus. The part of the Bible Christians call the Old Testament was the part that was around when Jesus walked on the earth. It is, for the most part, the Bible Jesus read. 
In fact, for him to be considered a good Jew, which he was, he would have, he would have been a diligent student of these ancient pages. One New Testament writer refers to Jesus as the Word. Jesus is the Word. When Jesus was trying to get through to the religious leaders of his day, he told them this, these are the scriptures that testify about me. The scriptures that were around when he said that for the Old Testament scriptures. Jesus did not just make up sayings on his own. Instead, he spoke God's word almost every time he opened his mouth. He said, whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. And it wasn't that he did this as some well-read academia bookworm. You don't hear him say, it says this and that in verse 14 of the third book. He didn't say it that. Instead, the words just spontaneously come out of his mouth because they were natural for him. In fact, the passage I just quoted earlier, man does not live by bread alone. Some of you thought that was what Jesus said when he was tempted by the devil in the 40 days and 40 nights when he was hungry and the devil said, turn these stones into bread. True, Jesus did say that then, but he was actually quoting the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. You could say God's words were always on the tip of his tongue. Also for him, it wasn't just talk. Jesus did what God said in the Bible. He even told us, don't believe me unless I do what the Father does. So if it was so important for Jesus to know and to speak and to live the Bible that he read, and if we're supposed to become like Jesus, if we're supposed to be transformed in his image, And shouldn't we see the authority of the Bible, the Word of God? Today we start with an overview of the Old Testament. And I want to ask this question, is the Old Testament, the writings that Jesus read, is the Old Testament worth the effort it takes to figure it out? Let me answer it with three things. There are a whole bunch of uh, criteria we could use, but three things today. First of all, it's worth it because the Old Testament is real. It's very real. Now, through this series, I'm going to avoid some of the difficulties and the obstacles we encounter in the Old Testament. For example, there are some 600 passages of explicit violence, many of them linked directly to God himself. It's not easy to reconcile that with a non-violent preaching of Jesus. But I'm not going to worry too much about that in this series. See, I'm not trying to make an argument as much as I'm trying to help us discover this deep manuscript. Besides that, many books and other sermons have been written from people far more qualified than I that take up these issues in great deal. So go read those books, okay? All right. But just as an overview... The realness of the Old Testament is one of the most powerful features. When I read a play like Macbeth, or if I see a movie like Saving Private Ryan, I encounter a world of evil, violence, revenge, all that kind of stuff. 
And I feel moved by those experiences because guess what? I recognize my world. It's your world. It's where we live. You know, shootings in schools, abductions and murder of women at universities, political scandals, you name it. That's our world. The Old Testament exposes the world as it is, no holds barred. You find passionate stories of love and hate. Blood-chilling stories of rape and dismemberment. Accounts of trafficking slaves. Honest tales of high honor turned around by treason and deceit. You see unfairness, complete unfairness. Spoiled brats like Solomon and Samson get supernatural gifts. While a godly man like Job goes through hell. Did you know that one of the litmus tests for the authenticity of ancient writings is that it doesn't try to cover up things that could put the reader off? See, that's, that's how they tell these things. They, they, they go in and they say, okay, is this squeaky clean? Is everything just perfect in these writings? Because that kind of reeks of fallacy. No, Old Testament doesn't cover anything up. It is what it is. You read it and you deal with it. It's kind of the way they look at it. As you encounter these Old Testament narratives, you may recoil and even turn away from a God who would have any part of that kind of stuff. And then, very interesting, you find that the Bible includes those very responses in some of the stories. Some people recoil and turn away. It's like God is anticipating our objections, so he includes them in his sacred writings. Kathleen Norris, in her book Amazing Grace, writes this. Many people desire something more, but when they try to read the Bible, they end up throwing it across the room. To me, she says, this seems encouraging, a sign of real engagement with the God who is revealed in Scripture. In the context of real life, the Bible seems refreshingly whole and honest, an honest reflection on humanity in relation to the sacred and the profane. She writes, I can learn enough about I can't learn enough about it, but I also have to trust what little I know and proceed in faith to seek God there. There's no doubt that the Bible records some weird stuff. It's really weird. I I make no bones about that. But then doesn't CNN, doesn't the Harrisburg Patriot record weird things that we think nothing about gluing our eyes and ears to? That's one thing that makes the Bible, especially the Old Testament, captivating. It's real. It's the real deal. Another thing about the Old Testament is that it's progressive. I don't mean that in a political way. It's not the progressive movement or the liberal movement, or the whatever. No, I'm, I'm talking about it's linear. It, it moves from here to there. There's so much in it that we just can't relate to that sometimes we end up missing where God is taking us on this path. 
Remember the, the series we did on the Pharisees missing the point? That's the idea, missing the total point. Even the Ten Commandments are a little out of our cultural understanding. I mean, do we really think it's bad to covet? Do we really? Like if I see my neighbor's 80-inch TV, and I like it, and I want one, and I go buy one, am I really sinning? I don't know. Maybe not. Let alone eating the meat of animals with cleft feet. (laughs) Polls show that 80% of Americans claim to believe in the Ten Commandments, but very few can name as many as four of them. Half of all adult Americans cannot identify the Bible's first book as Genesis. And 14% identify Joan of Arc as Noah's wife. (laughs) I like to meet those 14%. What, What do they do? Here's something even more surprising. Professor Gary Burge of Wheaton College, Wheaton Bible College, He has found that ignorance of the Old Testament extends to the church as well. In this premier Christian institution, his survey shows that incoming freshmen, right, people just coming in who have attended Sunday school all their lives, watched innumerable episodes of Veggie Tales, (laughs) and have listened to countless sermons cannot identify basic facts about the Old Testament. Now, we should be able to sympathize with that. That ignorance kind of goes along with everything because let's face it, a lot of trivia is in the Old Testament. Some of it just doesn't really matter to us. For example, why does the Bible spend so much time on temples, building temples and the pieces and the measurements and and priests and what they wear and the rules governing sacrifices that no longer exist. How do you make sense of all that? And do we need to make sense of it? Is it worth the effort? One thing that can help dramatically is to see the Old Testament as progressive, of movement going somewhere. Before the ancient Hebrews, history was viewed as cyclical. It always just went on and on and on and on. Okay? That's how they looked at it. Um, Seasons, the harvest, all that. Everything was the same old, same old. Nothing really new is ever going to happen. Every civilization before the Hebrews had no real hope for a future. They believed that everything was up to the whims of their temperamental gods. And you know what they worried about? The only thing they really worried about was appeasing those gods. Well, everything's going to go on. Let's just make the gods happy. That was their life. But then, the God of the Hebrews revealed himself and started the process of linear history. First, he talked about this thing called sin and how he was going to take care of it. He had a plan for it. He promised Abraham that his offspring would multiply like nothing anyone had ever seen before. He gave Moses the law so they would understand what sin really was. They didn't really have a definition until the law came. 
All right? And then, then they also saw how impossible it was to keep that law. God sent prophets to warn them about the perils of disobedience, perils like exile into Babylonia. Those same prophets and others talked about the coming Messiah and how everything would change when He came on the scene. Not to mention the many fulfilled prophecies or predictions about where and about when, about how the Messiah would come and what His life would be like, what His death was going to be like, His resurrection, His eternal reign. All throughout, God used examples and predictions and more examples and more predictions. And they all progressed toward a hopeful future. You see, in its time, the Old Testament was not viewed as one book. It's not one book. Each book had its own scroll. A long book like Jeremiah would maybe be 20 to 30 feet long if you unroll the whole thing. And a Jewish person entering a synagogue would see the stacks of scrolls and they were aware of their differences and they would choose accordingly. For example, on certain holy, real solemn days, they were only allowed to read from Job or Jeremiah or Lamentations in order to stay appropriately mournful. Because the other books, the other scrolls, they may have brought too much pleasure. They're for other reasons. Yet with all this diverse collection of manuscripts written over a period of a thousand years by dozens of authors, it's amazing how much unity and defined progression is there. Imagine keeping that kind of continuity if someone started a book 500 years before Columbus. Right? 500 years before Columbus. And then... Um, it would finally be completed this year. And then you'd find that every single story emerged from 39 different books that this story, this one finite line of thinking appears through all 39 books. See, here's the important point here. We're not talking about a collection of history books although there's history in them. And we're not talking about some cool ancient poetry, even though there's ancient poetry there. You see, the Old Testament is a record of God's activity with humankind. All kinds of stuff. It includes a continuing theme that progresses through centuries. And that theme is Jesus is coming for His lost sheep. A third thing about the Old Testament is that it is part of a package. Part of a package. Jesus said, don't suppose for a minute that I've come to demolish the Scriptures, either God's law or the prophets. I'm not here to demolish, but to complete. I'm going to put it all together, pull it all together in a vast panorama. We and all evangelical churches are New Testament churches. We're not under the law of the Old Testament. We're not oppressed by the law of the Old Testament. We're under the grace of the New Testament. And besides, Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets. So there's the question again. What's the deal with the Old Testament? 
Thomas Cahill wrote a book called The Gift of the Jews. It's about the foundation they laid for Western civilization. It was a Jewish, it was the Jewish belief system of monotheism. Monotheism is the belief in one God. Up until now, they believed in multiple gods. You know, the Caesars were all gods in that culture. In the Greek culture, they had all the gods, you know, in Athens and all that stuff. Uh, but here's the first time monotheism comes into play. And it gave us the idea of a unified universe created by one creator. They also gave us the idea of a God who was personally involved with the cares of his creation. According to Cahill, without the Jews, we would never have known the abolitionist movement, never known the prison reform movement, the labor movement, the civil rights movement, and he just continues with this long list of things. There was a Chinese philosopher who insisted on riding his donkey backwards. He sat on it backwards so he wouldn't be distracted by where he was going and he could reflect on where he had been. The Bible kind of works like that. For centuries, there was a phrase like this, as predicted by the prophets, such and such, as predicted by the prophets. It was one of the most powerful influence for people coming to faith. Looking back, ah, they said this would happen. The French mathematician Blaise Pascal cited fulfilled prophecies as one of the most important factors in his faith. It's like, you can't deny it. It keeps happening like they said. When it comes to prophecy, today's Christians, they miss prophecy a lot. We, we all miss it a lot. A lot of people study prophecy to learn it as a skill like, like a palm reader would do. When it comes to the New Testament, we really cannot understand it apart from the Old Testament. Try to understand the New Testament book of Hebrews or the book of Jude or Revelation without any reference to Old Testament concepts. That may explain why Christians kind of avoid those three books as well. And what about the Gospels? The four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Although they were written in New Testament times, they were actually accounts of Old Testament happenings. Jesus lived in Old Testament days, and he followed Old Testament customs and rituals. He read Old Testament scriptures. Because the New Testament is, is either Old Testament uh, records or because it's built on Old Testament, th there are some things that are completely missing from the New Testament. Some things that would totally surprise us. For example, the form of worship, the order of worship, the way we should worship, totally not in the New Testament at all. Well, that's because the Jews already knew a little bit about that. Why repeat it? <laughs> they knew quite a bit about it. Here's another one. People will say that tithing is not a New Testament concept. But the teaching on tithing was unnecessary because it was already being practiced by the believers there. You see, without the Old Testament, we would be quite different in our church routines. 
Because Jesus is our greatest teacher, our rabbi, and because the curriculum, if you will, that he used was the Old Testament, I hope you can see the motivation behind this series. The Old Testament is the Bible Jesus read. These are the prayers he prayed. They're the poems that he memorized. These are the songs that he sang. They were the bedtime stories that he was told. And they were the prophecies that he pondered. So let me raise some closing questions. Are we not drawn to know more about this awesome God that we say we worship? Do we even know what it is to worship God? How could He be our loving Father if we don't read the love letters He wrote? How could we learn from our invisible teacher if we don't diligently study the textbook he wrote? Good questions. Listen to what Paul says to Timothy in a letter. Okay, in a letter before they had the New Testament written. Paul says, all Scripture, what must he be talking about? The Old Testament. All Scripture is God-breathed. Useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Why would we expect God to transform us into the image of His Son who is called the Word if we don't fight past our fears and press into these powerful words? Listen what the writer of Hebrews says to the Hebrews in the understanding of the Hebrew writings, the Old Testament. He says, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit. Anybody here ever tried to divide your soul from your spirit? It divides joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. So for the next few weeks, join me in raising the importance factor of the absolute authority of God's written Word, specifically the Old Testament, because it has the ability to transform our lives. It's God. It's the Word. It's able to transform us. So, we're going to watch a video now, and I want you to treat it like it's our closing prayer. And just meditate, sit there and watch it and read the the scriptures on there that, by the way, come from an Old Testament book called Psalms. And let's just end our service this way, by meditating on what it means to go hard after God's Word.